KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Hilda, are you decent? Me? Noir dames. They defied traditional notions of decency by operating on their own terms. You got it all figured out, haven't you? You know something? You're stupid. Now look. Doesn't it ever enter a man's head that a woman can do without him? Welcome back to listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. I'm Beth Accomando. Okay, I'm extending noir vember because one month was not enough time to explore the spectrum of women found on the shadowy streets of film noir. Nora Fiore, the nitrate diva, returns for part two of Noir Dames, a look beyond the usual suspects of femme fatales to check out such intriguing female characters as the lady sleuth, the glamorous victim, and the good girl. Yes, believe it or not, Film Noir offers up some admirable dames who challenge expectations by providing, as Nora says, a guiding light for men in dark places. So hold tight, and I'll be right back with the nitrate diva and an illuminating list of Noir dames to die for. I'm sorry he didn't die. Give him time. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Welcome back. In part one of Noir Dames, Nora Fiore and I shared our favorite femme fatales and teased you with a glimpse of the women who exist beyond those lethal ladies. As I mentioned in part one, there's been a lot of discussion and scholarship about the types of women you find in noir. So we're not breaking any new ground here, but we are adding our own perspective and citing our favorite examples. One of those favorites was the great Ida Lupino in Roadhouse. Listen, Jeffy. You better read our contract again. There's nothing about breakfast in Lily's room. Lupino epitomized what Nora Fiore called the self-reliant performer. And now we move on to the Lady Sleuth and start with Lucille Ball in a wonderful noir called Lord. Since Being the Ricardos is stirring Oscar buzz right now with its portrait of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, there may be added interest in seeing Ball outside of her I Love Lucy persona. Here, Ball is recruited to help find a serial killer in London in 1947's Lord. Describe me, frankly, if you please. Well, you're kind of grayish, heavyset, six feet tall, and you probably have stomach trouble. You have a signet ring on your left little finger, a watch chain with a gold pendant, and you try to be hard-boiled, but you're really a softy. Satisfied? Quite. Very enlightening. Do I get the job? So you know what I've been aiming at. Female detective, isn't that what you've been testing me for? Exactly. Our policewomen are very clever, but the unknown person we seek only goes after young, beautiful girls. Thank you. Then I'm to be the bait. In our trap. The criminal will follow you in and we'll snap it shut. 
Well, I think a lot of the the women who are doing sleuthing or investigation in noirs, they're driven to it on a very personal level. It's not the money. It's not a professional thing. It's more that somebody they love is in trouble. Um, you know, they often, it's a man they love has been falsely accused of a crime. Um, and in the case, or, or sometimes maybe it's that somebody they love has been killed and they, they want justice for them. That's the case of um, Lourdes. I think I run into plenty of something, Inspector. Three girls were here before me who left for parts unknown. Did you get their names? Well, I don't dare shoot questions too fast. You've got Lucille Ball, who her friend was murdered by a serial killer, went missing. And, you know, suddenly she's joining forces with the police and going undercover to find the culprit, to dig him up and, and smoke him out. Ella Raines and Phantom Lady is, uh, I think, the classic example of the woman sleuth in noir where she's going into the dark streets. She's even dressing as a floozy type uh, to ensnare men and get the information she needs. She's really like a femme fatale. She's a shapeshifter, but she's shapeshifting for a, a positive goal to exonerate the innocent man that she loves. And she's interesting in that she's, you know, she is kind of a, a respectable career woman. She's a secretary for an engineer and, you know, yet she's willing to kind of downgrade her identity according to the time to go into these dark, dangerous situations to find the truth. You've got something to tell me. You're wasting your time. You know what's going to happen to him, don't you? You can prevent it. You don't want that on your conscience, do you? If you want me to, I'll... Uh... No, don't interfere. Okay, lady. Well? I ain't talking, see? You ain't got nothing on me. Nothing. If you want to find out anything, ask the guy who'll give it to me. Who bribed you? I do think that the personal level of the quests that women have in noir when they're sleuthing makes those films quite powerful. And there's a really surprisingly large amount of these films. I, I did a whole letterbox list of, um, you know, movies where a woman is, is kind of taking a driving role in solving the crime. I mean, the, you know, The Seventh Victim with Kim Hunter, that's kind of on the borderland with noir, but that's definitely one where she's doing that. Um, Black Angel, you know, based on Cornell Woolrich, where it's the wife, uh, very much like in Phantom Lady, also based on Cornell Woolrich, where she's kind of going into the demi-monde of nightclubs to figure out what happens and exonerate her husband. Um, even like, you know, the Poverty Row Studio PRC did like a ripoff of Phantom Lady called The Lady Confesses, which is very cute. I was surprised seeing you here, Miss McGuire. Just a hunch, Captain, but I think you'll find the answer of who killed Norma Craig right here in this club. Lucille loves Brandon and she accused him of being in Norma's house the night of the murder. Deadline at Dawn, again, um, Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, you know, Anne Sheridan in Woman on the Run is kind of a woman sleuth where she has to piece together what happened and get back to her husband. In the past 10 hours, I've met three men. Three men who all put together haven't known Frank for one fraction of the length of time I have. Yet they all know him better than I do. Well, along the way, I found out a few things myself. I found out how Frank Johnson really feels about me. That at the first chance, his first excuse, he took off, ran. That he didn't even think enough of me to confide in me that he was ill. So I think there's something about the way women are pushing justice forward in noir that flies in the face of a lot of misconceptions about noir, that it is misogynistic, that women are entirely demonized. I mean, I, I think there's so many examples of women stepping up for the side of justice, uh, you know, whether it's for personal reasons or because they just, you know, don't like to see something bad happen. Uh, I, I just, I do think that that's kind of inspiring. I love, I love these, these characters. And I think it's a little bit of a under-recognized facet of noir for people who just don't know that much about the genre, how much women are driving the plot forward and piecing together information. Um, 
and, and kind of unraveling the mysteries. You know, I mentioned Lord with Lucille Ball. I just have to say, you have not lived until you've enjoyed Lucille Ball <laughs> hunting a serial killer in fabulous outfits. And she also plays another girl sleuth in uh, The Dark Corner where she's the secretary for a private eye and kind of helps get him out of a jam. Brad, there's an art gallery. I've seen their ad in the paper. It's on Fifth Avenue. There it is, Cathcart Galleries. Cathcart Galleries. Cathcart Galleries. What would Stopper have to do with an art gallery? Well, I don't know, but maybe that's the point. He wouldn't unless there was some connection. You got something there. So there's really a, a great many of these films where the woman is taking either the active role in an investigation or just kind of a, a significant piece of it. You should have William Powell for a secretary. William Powell? Who's he? Don't you ever go to the movies? He's a detective in The Thin Man. In hearing you talk about these films, the other thing that strikes me about this lady sleuth is that, you know, you mentioned that during the war, women were, you know, it was Rosie the Riveter. They were taking on jobs that men weren't there to do. And the lady sleuth kind of gives me this sense of like they're being pushed back into a more conventional role, but they have these skill set that they want to like somehow put to use. And on a certain level, they're kind of the flip side of Jane Palmer in that like, hey, we're bored. We're bored here and we kind of have mm. some ideas and and we're smart and maybe we can put that to some sort of use. In this case, it's for the positive. You know, in Jane Palmer's case, it was bored and I want to steal some money, but they're interesting characters. I love these. Oh, definitely. I mean, and, and in the case of Black Angel, for instance, it's infidelity. It's her husband's infidelity that pulls her into that. So definitely acknowledging a darker side of the marriage. Mrs. Kirk Bennett. So you're the one he left sitting at home. Some guys are never satisfied. I had to see you. Why? Because I had a wife who needed killing and you had a husband who took care of it? She didn't give you a very fair deal, did she? You weren't exactly dull a handful of aces. And stop feeling sorry for me. I don't go for that stuff. Feeling pretty sorry for yourself, aren't you? Shadow of a Doubt, where Charlie becomes kind of a sleuth. She's obviously looking into the darker side of her family. So just because they have a little bit of that moral high ground doesn't mean that the situations that they're in don't still reflect kind of this landscape of moral ambiguity, of kind of painful connections. And it's funny because, you know, Phantom Lady, I always think of that wonderful smile that it ends on with Ella Raines' triumphant smile. And I always do kind of worry about her a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> is she going to be happy with this guy? Uh, 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 don't hang up. You know, you're having dinner with me tonight. Huh? And tomorrow night. And the next night. And then every night. You know, is, is that is that enough for her? You know, kind of like you say, is she going to become a bored, possibly homicidal housewife? No, no, she's she's just too pure. She's too wholesome. We would never expect that of Ella Raines' character from Phantom Lady. No, Kansas, that could not happen to Kansas. But you do wonder, like, is she going to be happy? Is this going to be enough for her? So I, I know what you mean. There There is kind of a bittersweetness to those, um, those women roles. That's probably why I love Woman on the Run so much, because her sleuthing reignites the relationship rather than leading to the end, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the 
kind of the closure of her adventure. It's kind of she's been in this bitter union and having to play the sleuth, having to put her skills to use leads her to understand her husband more and kind of realizes that, wow, like maybe maybe a successful marriage is a little like being a detective. Maybe you have to keep searching for the truth about someone and maybe there's something adventurous and exciting and, uh, you know, kind of detective-like about staying in love, keeping a union going. So I, I just find that film romantic in so many ways. You also have a category of the glamorous victim, which Rita Hayworth in Gilda is one example. And she does seem a little bit like the femme fatale. So how do you kind of differentiate the glamorous victim from the classic femme fatale? Or is there a difference? Oh, I, I do think there's a difference. I think that there's a subset of noirs that are really starting to look at the way women are projected onto, uh, looking at the way men are blaming women for how they feel about her, even though she's not doing anything so terrible. And I feel like Gilda is a really the classic example of this because she is mind numbingly gorgeous you know she's 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 a showstopper she's she looks like she could be a femme fatale put the blame on main boy put the blame on main really i mean we don't see her do anything so terrible she marries on the rebound she says she married on the rebound she kind of has these conflicted feelings and the men in her life treat her like a possession and and kind of manipulate her in all these terrible ways i mean the worst thing she does is kind of flirt with some guys to make somebody jealous, which, uh, you know, in, in my book is not a cardinal sin in, in any way, shape, or form. What's your telephone number? Hmm? Oh, oh never mind, I'll give you mine. Cujo 3017. Cujo 3017. Ha sido un placer bailar con usted, El placer ha sido mío, señora. What did you say to him? I just told him if a man answers, hang on. But, you know, we see her angst, we see her fear, we see how this situation where she just seems to get trapped in these bad relationships, uh, you know, goes from one bad husband to another bad husband. And, you know, it's implied that she's had this bad relationship with Glenn Ford before. I think the film is really about the way in which her sexuality is used against her, how it's kind of used as an excuse and as a license for the men in her life to be like, we need to keep you under control. And I feel like these films are, are really much more about that. Gilda is not a master strategist like Kathy. The way she acts, what she does, much more driven by impulse and by emotion rather than some plan of, I want the money, I want this from you. Um, she's much, I'd argue that she's more acted upon than she does act in that film. And obviously her big action is to put on her show and kind of reveal who she is. And that does, you know, kind of precipitate the ending. That's almost like the fever breaking. Another like kind of victim role I see in noir. And then, you know, when I say victim, I don't mean that they are defined solely as a victim. I really do think the film is looking at the way in which the way men see these women and blame them for their beauty leads to their downfall. Another great example of this is Elizabeth Scott's role in Pitfall. I liked him mostly because he was nice to me. Very few men are. That means a lot. Where she's this woman who's been involved with a guy who, you know, did something wrong and Dick Powell gets wrapped up in her and Raymond Burr wants her too and uses his lust for her as this excuse to stalk her. I don't like you. I don't want you around. Sure, but what about me? I've got some feelings. Suppose I like to hang around. It won't do you any good, Mac. Why don't you believe that? Guess I'm just stubborn. Or maybe I figure I know you better than you know yourself. I think she's very clearly a victim in that. And you can see the way in which her beauty and her sexuality 
are used by men in the film to kind of justify their actions and say, oh, well, you know, she made me do it. She tempted me. She sucked me into this, you know. But what the film is showing is very different, that she's just kind of this lonely woman who is drifting into situations that are bad, but she's not saying, oh, I want this guy for this reason. No, she's just trying to live her life, and it's being used against her the way she looks. You know, another example of this, frankly, I think is Kim Novak in Vertigo. You know, you have this this beautiful woman who sparks an obsession that the man then takes as his license to control her life. Well, I should be back from your face and pinned at the neck. I told her that. I told you that. We tried it. It just didn't seem to suit me. There really are some of these characters in noir of these hard luck dames whose astonishing beauty is turned against them, that they're abused and exploited and kind of told by the men that you're a temptress, you're a femme fatale, you're bad, I have a right to treat you this way because of the way you, because of the desire you arouse in me, whereas the film shows that they're really not doing anything that wrong, frankly. They're just kind of maybe having a little fun, maybe they get involved with bad company, but there's there's nothing inherently about them that they have transgressed some moral boundary. They're just kind of punished for the crime of being really super attractive. Looking at my samples? Yes. You photograph very well. I bet it's my business. Well, and I think they are women who have a certain... I don't know if it's sexual confidence, but they they have a certain sexuality that they present that I think can make men uncomfortable because mm. it exudes a certain amount of power. They... They don't necessarily, like, Gilda doesn't use her sexuality in the same way that Kathy may, but she has that potential to be able to use it. And I think that's what kind of scares the male characters is she doesn't seem to want to play by the rules in terms of how a woman is supposed to act. Didn't hear about me, Gabe. If I'd been a ranch, they would have named me the bar nothing. Um, you're not supposed to behave that way. That's how men behave. And uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a certain aspect of that that does scare those characters. And But I think that's kind of where I, I think the femme fatale and the glamorous victim kind of overlap is just in kind of their sexuality. And they use it in different ways, but they they both have that kind of potential to control men if they want to or control men either by deliberate choice or by complete accident (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a great point that what they have the men want to keep it on lockdown because they recognize the danger of it regardless of how it's being wielded or used by them you know it's kind of this commodity that they want to monopolize and lock down and, and kind of control by any means necessary because it threatens them you know that kind of their and that's what I mean by like this role of the femme fatale is projected onto them they don't act with the ruthlessness of a femme fatale but they are a potential femme fatale in the men's eyes and I think that's where you know again noir can be called misogynistic I think Johnny and Gilda is a misogynist statistics show that there are more women in the world than anything else except insects johnny but do i think the film is misogynistic no i feel like the film is very sympathetic to gilda same thing with pitfall you know he's you know the the raymond burr's character he's a stalker you know i mean scotty and vertigo kind of a little bit of misogynist you know he thinks he has this right to control this woman i mean another example of this is even um you know gloria graham's character in the big heat you know where she's this she's 
a victim. I mean, you know, she she's a little bit more on the femme fatale side because she does bring doom to some men. But I mean, really, ultimately, there's nothing wrong with Debbie. She's just kind of this flirty chick who wants to live good. You know, she has to sleep with Lee Marvin to get the life she wants. She's okay with that. Hey, that's nice perfume. Something new that attracts mosquitoes and repels men. Doesn't work that way with me. It's not supposed to. You know, but she's not a rotten character. She's not killing anybody for fun or anything. You know, she's just, you know, pretty... The, what actually kind of radicalizes her is what Lee Marvin does to her, is this, you know, this horrific act of, of violence against her. You know, again, directed at her looks, because that's what he resents. That's the thing that gives her power, so he takes away her power by destroying her looks. Um, and I won't say any more about that film if nobody's seen it, but a very, very disturbing film and uh, just uh, an incredible performance from Gloria Graham in that one. <laughs> in your pretty face. She scolded. She had it coming. Don't just stay there. Get it to a doctor. You'll have to make a police report. That's why we're sending you. Go on, get moving. I'll try. I'll try. One category that we don't tend to think of very often in noir is the good girl. You know, we tend to focus on those femme fatales and on kind of the really sassy characters, but there are women in film noir that are good. I mean, in talking about out of the past, you have uh, Virginia Houston, who is kind of the good girl on the side for Robert Mitchum. Well, I told you it wasn't a nice story. And I told you once that whatever had happened was done. Yeah, but you should have known about it long ago. It's all right, I understand. But it's all past. And in some ways, you know, you have Lauren Bacall in The Big Sleep, who, you know, she may be wild and, you know, she may seem like she's quite a femme fatale, but she's not lethal in any way. She's not ruthless. And, you know, she does have a very, you know, kind of a personal code of how she chooses to behave. But you have Mm -hmm. a category of these good girls that you call the redeeming angels. And who are these? I think there's quite a lot of examples of the women in noir who kind of become this guiding light for men in dark places in their life. Dan. Dan, don't be afraid. Billy. I almost killed Billy. The guy I've helped and protected all my life. He didn't even know what it was all about. If he'd raised his hands, I think I would have killed him. Oh, get out of here! You should have sent me away when I might have gone. It's too late now. Um, one of the examples that came to mind was Gail Russell in Moonrise, who's this emotional solace for Dane Clark, who's very embittered from having grown up being bullied as the son of a man who was hanged. And, and her influence in his life tones down some of his anger and ultimately serves as a catalyst for him to do the right thing in the end. I think Lauren Bacall in Dark Passage is an even purer example of this kind of redeeming, almost angelic, good girl type that you do sometimes see in noir. But, you know, in a way that is not boring or flat or a trope, but I mean, she's definitely angelic in the way she looks. You know, those big close-ups when Bogey wakes up and it kind of ripples out of his uh, delirium and there she is, this 
gorgeous face and you know hello she says you know she, she just looks like she was sent to help him but you know she's competent and she's smart and she has her reasons for doing it and you know because she's Lauren Bacall she can hold her own against Bogey and then there's kind of a sadness to her that I think makes her her kindness all the more beautiful and poignant so I, I love Lauren Bacall in Dark Passage you won't tell me because you think I'll come there think I'd follow you. Well, you'd be insane to follow me. I... Was I insane to pick you up on the road? Was I crazy to let you stay here? Marsha Hunt in Raw Deal. Thanks, Anne. Thanks. I didn't do it for you. I did it for that kid. You'd have shot him down. I saw you with that gun. I saw the look on your face. You're a murderer. Oh, wait a minute. I may have romanticized you before, but now I know you. You're something from under a rock. You don't have to worry about me turning you in anymore. I don't have to. You'll get yours somehow, sometime, somewhere. One of Noir's most fascinating good girls, I think. And, you know, Marsha Hunt is such an extraordinary person in real life. You know, she just had a, a birthday. She's, you know, oh gosh, I, I think she's 104 now, Marsha Hunt. And she has just done so much with her life in humanitarian causes, um, has been on the right side of history so many times. And, and I think that that really shines through in her performance in Raw Deal, where she's the angel on Dennis O'Keefe's shoulder, to contrast with Claire Trevor, who's the more venal, tough dame, mall voice. And she, Claire Trevor actually has the voiceover. That's a great example of of a film noir where a woman is doing the voiceover. This is the day. This is the day. The last time I shall drive up to these gates. These iron bars that keep the man I love locked away from me. So very female-dominated noir. And Marsha Hunt is kind of pulling Dennis O'Keefe back towards morality and doing the right thing after he crashes out of prison and it's kind of un unclear what he's going to do. Uh, that's a great example of a good girl noir. And another one I think uh, deserves a little more attention is Alice Fay in Fallen Angel, where, you know, I, I know we're all kind of hard to take your eyes off of Linda Darnell as the hash-slinging, you know, sassy temptress. But Alice Faye is so beautiful in that. And the way she redeems Dana Andrews's cynical character and, and you know, delivers the line that the title comes from. We were born to tread the earth as angels, to seek out heaven this side of the sky. But they who race alone shall stumble in the dark and fall from grace. Sounds good. Then love alone can make the fallen angel rise. For only two together can enter paradise. There's just so much goodness in her. I think there's a, a luminous good girl in noir that could have been a cliche. They, all of these ones I've just mentioned could be these kind of cardboard, you know, stand-ins for conventional morality, but instead the actresses make them really believable characters, you know, I think in some ways it is harder to play the good girl than the bad girl because it, it, it's such a temptation to make her saccharine and boring. And she's also kind of a little bit of a scold often in the story, <laughs> trying to pull the protagonist back onto the straight and narrow. We don't want to see him on the straight and narrow. We want to see him misbehave. We want to see him do bad things. So when, when you get one of these characters who is a good girl and a positive moral influence who manages to be very inspirational and, um, and poignant, I, I really just love all those performances I just mentioned. Anytime you want to, you can always pull out. Remember that. They'll fix you up with a divorce just for the asking. Just tell them how I lied to you. That I only married you for your money. I'm wanted for murder. You and didn't murder that girl. Maybe I did. You didn't even ask me. I didn't have to. I knew you didn't. What do you know about All her? I know is that I love you. I love you, Eric. I love you. That was Fallen Angel. 
I need to take one last break, and then I'll be back with Noor Fiore, the nitrate diva, to conclude our discussion of noir dames. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Marriage is not always a hallowed institution in film noir. In fact, it's often threatened by infidelity or scorned by people who see little cause to respect society's norms. So we don't often see a married couple at the heart of a noir, but Nora does perceive a category of characters that she calls the long-suffering wife, like Colleen Gray in Nightmare Alley. I knew it! You knew what? You never were on the level! You lied to me! Zena was right! Walking out on me, huh? Look, Stan, anytime you want to go back into show business... Yeah, you and all that talk of yours about love. You were going to be such a good wife to me. I've tried to be. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of cases, it, the suffering wife I see as a character who is often there with her husband, but, you know, in contrast to the femme fatale leading a man astray, oftentimes the suffering wife, it's interesting because I find a lot of the um fatale characters, they're not free agents like the femme fatale. They're often husbands. They're often these charming spouses who kind of hook some good woman into their life. And maybe they're, the wife becomes complicit. Maybe the wife is just now trapped in this situation. I mean, I, I guess you, this, this bleeds into some of the other categories we talked about, but, you you know, one I think about a lot is the suffering wife is Colleen Gray in Nightmare Alley, where, you know, she's suckered into Tyrone Power's racket. I mean, who wouldn't be? And, you know, she's she goes along with him to a certain point, but she does resist him. She does, you know, kind of try to talk to him. And you know, there's that great conversation where she says, you know, you're talking like you're God. There's nothing to worry about. There's no difference between this and, and mentalism. It's just another angle of show business. Wait a minute, mister. You're not talking to one of your chumps. You're talking to your wife. You're talking to somebody who knows you red, white, and blue. And you can't fool me anymore. There's only one way I can stop you from doing this thing. And that's to leave you. I think their relationship is really fascinating, where even though she is so clearly the submissive partner in that relationship, you know, she still has the guts to speak up to him and to say something to him. I remember I think Colleen Gray is just a tremendously underrated actress. She also is wonderful as kind of a redeeming angel character in Kiss of Death, you know, with, with Victor Mature. I inquired of the police and I found out that, well, they sent me to a place and I found out they're all right. You saw the kids? Yes. And they're all right? Oh, yes, they look swell. Where are they? In an orphanage outside of New York. A big place. I was going to write and tell you about it. And then I thought maybe I better come see you. I feel so sorry about everything, Nick. Another great wife character that I love is Jane Randolph in a little-known noir called Jealousy, where she's the cab driver who's supporting her husband, who's an alcoholic emigre. And she's smart, and she's competent, and she's sassy, and you kind of gotta wonder how she hooked up with this, like, European intellectual here living in America. But, you know, they, they, you know, you can imagine how once upon a time they were maybe a really happy couple together, but, you know, he just can't pull himself out of his tood, and, you know, she's like, come on, you know, you can do this. And he 
and he really resents her for that. A film noir I, I just absolutely love is repeat performance. Bonnie. Oh, be close, Bonnie, closer. I've got to know you're really, I'm really in your arms. Hold me tight, darling. Tight, don't let me go. It's really you, isn't it, Bonnie? It's really you. I'm really in your arms. You're alive. Alive. I haven't had a drink, if that's what you mean. Oh, Bonnie, if I'm dreaming, don't wake me up. Don't let anyone wake me up. Again, it's all about Joan Leslie's struggles as a wife to kind of keep her husband in line. Try to she tries to redeem him, and well, let's let's just say she's not <laughs> successful in that endeavor. So, I mean, definitely the wife figure. You know, I, I think a lot of this probably comes out of Gaslight. You know, which was just Ingrid Bergman won her Oscar for it. But you do see that a lot. You see a lot of in in noir and noir adjacent movies and movies kind of part of the noir movement you do see a lot of women who are being abused and exploited by their partners which is partially why i debate this charge against noir that it's misogynistic because frankly i think noir is very sympathetic to the many bad situations that life can pull women into and how hard it is for them to escape those situations once they are in them um you know i think for every femme fatale there is a noir there is a terrible (laughs) husband there are just so many like evil, abusive, manipulative husbands in film noir. Remember me? I'm Gilda, your wife. This vacuum I'm living in. Mind giving me a reason? Not at all. You've had such a full life up to now, I thought a little peace and quiet would do you good. Give you time to think. Think about what? Would it be too corny to say your sins? Yes, it would. Well, I said it. Well, when you mentioned this category, which I hadn't thought about, I thought of the film Reckless Moment, which is not so much the suffering wife as maybe the long-suffering mother. And this is where, like, noir kind of crosses into... The women's melodrama of, uh, like, Douglas Sirk. This was Max Ophel's, but this sense of, you know, she's so suburban and she's so, like, she ta- she runs the house, she takes care of the kids, she manages the budget while the husband's away. And, you know, in this particular film, she has to deal with blackmail and murder. B, B, where were you? What's the matter? What happened? B, B, down, down. Who was it? So it's like she seems very constrained by these domestic duties and yet she's thrown into a situation kind of out of her depth but she still manages you know she's like doing her budget to figure out how to pay blackmail you know it's like if i say <laughs> and she can't get a loan because it's all in her <laughs> yeah. husband it's that film is so tense i mean that scene where she's trying to get a loan and and just you can tell it's not going to work out for her the way all the minutia of her life become this chain that makes it all the more challenging for her to fix this problem. You know, it's kind of the typical issue of just, I got to get the money. I got to pay off the blackmailer, which, you know, for a man, he could do that in a day. All of these obstacles stand her way. And, and the way Ophel's films it with all the, the tracking shots and the way she's constantly in motion and bouncing from place to place, the simplest thing becomes this huge 
bigger mess for her to clean up because of the prison of her respectability. It's going to be hard for me to go to Los Angeles and get the money. I, I promised Father and David the car tomorrow. If I want it, there'll be questions. I've been to Los Angeles once this week. That means more questions. You don't know how, how a family can surround you at times. No, I don't. I have to have time to think. I can't just get the money like, like that. She loves her family, and the family that she is going through all this for is such a constraint on her ability to solve this problem. That, that is just a tremendous performance from Joan Bennett, uh, just a real, I think, underrated noir dame. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to call Joan Bennett underrated because she does still loom so large. She's so incredible in Scarlet Street. But again, I mean, another one of these women who can inhabit, you know, multiple kinds of roles within noir. You know, she could be the femme fatale. She'd be the mother. She could be, you know, kind of more the woman in peril, like in Secret Beyond the Door. Uh, so she's just, uh, she's tremendous in the reckless moment. I mean, her, her tension and her frustration and the combination of grace and yet the the fear you can see under the surface it grabs you by the throat it's just astonishing i pushed him and he he fell on it later i had to move him off of it it was how did you move him he was a big man darby you couldn't have done that part of it oh yes i could i did though i don't know how i did but i i, I don't believe you i can't help it it's the truth and now they're holding all him right up. all right all right so you're a murderer so i believe you if that's what you want I feel like that film just is still a little underseen given how, how phenomenal it is. And, you know, the mother is, is I do think, maybe a little bit less a part of noir than, than you might expect. Like you said, it's kind of more the realm of melodrama. But, of course, Mildred Pierce, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, on the absolute borderland of noir or melodrama, whichever one you want to call it, it is that. And, you know, Joan Crawford as the classic maternal figure. And how dark is that? She's not only exploited by her husband, another one of the bad husband noirs. I can't do it with you. I'll do it without you. Oh, so now we're getting down to the point. You're looking for an excuse to heave me out in my ears, is that it? I didn't say Well, that. I'm fed up. Let's see you get along without me for a while. When you want me, you know where to find me. Bert, you go down to that woman's house again and you're never coming back here. I mean that. Oh, I go where I want to go. Then pack up, Bert. All right, I will. She's also exploited by her child in this, you know, tremendously insidious way. And another one I want to mention while we're on the subject of mothers is allotment wives, which combines a lot of the themes we've talked about because it's Kay Francis. Well, Lefty, what's the report on the Northwest Territory? No complaints, including insurance money, liquidated wedding gifts and various sundries. The net for last month is $37,000. Good. I'll go over the books later. As a lady gang boss, so she's kind of a femme fatale there. She's a vamp. She's she's using her wiles to get what she can. She's a mother of a daughter who is drifting into some bad company. So it's got the maternal noir element. She got has to kind of figure out what's happening. So there's this there's mystery from both sides of it, and that she is being investigated, but she also has to investigate. It's just really interesting noir in terms of the strong female characters this racket that is largely composed of women and also this this maternal element of it it's like mildred pierce if mildred pierce were a gang boss and it's just a fascinating film allotment wise highly recommend it for anybody who is a a k francis fan or, or just kind of a fan of these uh, you know because it's a poverty row noir it has some of these crazy twists that are a little implausible and weird and wild so you know you don't go into it expecting that it is going to be double indemnity it's not it's not tight like that you know with this kind of masterful construction but it is a wonderful example of the poverty row noir but with a terrific leading role for Kay francis one of her last films and she's magnificent and it makes you wish she'd played a lot more roles in noir kept on going drop everything find up the boys tell them i want connie and i want her quick and also 
I want Gladys Smith. I want her all to myself. Tell the boys to bring her here to me. There's $5,000 for the one who gets her. And trouble for all of them if they don't. Now, the final category you have is the self-rescuing damsel. And who are some of the classic examples of this? Well, the one that comes to mind, first of all, is Nina Fosh in My Name is Julia Ross. I know some people debate that this is noir, might call it a little bit more women in peril, but I, I think the way in which the ordinariness is perverted to become something twisted and dangerous, I, I, I call it noir. The fact that Joseph H. Lewis directed it, that Burnett Duffy shot it, you know, the whole sense of, of imprisonment and fear and, and you know... I mean, I, I would certainly consider it part of the noir movement. She's kind of a, a little bit of a girl sleuth character in that she has to figure out what happened. So the story, the setup is that Nina Fosh goes to a job interview. She's down on her luck. She really, really needs this job to become a, this wealthy woman's secretary. And she goes to the house to be taken to the position. Well, they drug her, take her to a mansion by the sea, where she is now told that she is not who she thought she was. She is not Julia Ross, but she is married to George McCready. And, you know, she's not well. She's sick. You know, she's she's mentally unbalanced so it's it's this in many ways more chilling for me than gaslight because it's like everybody's in on it for the gaslighting and it's not just oh you know that you didn't see that thing you thought you saw it's you're not who you think you are i don't know what this is all about but i promise you some very serious trouble unless you stop it immediately you know perfectly well i'm julia ross marion dear please don't excite yourself so you'll just bring out another attack 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 of what Nerves, dear? Just nerves. Oh, we do so want you to know you're with your own family. Nonsense. Marion, darling, control yourself. Let me go. We are doing everything in our power to make you well again. Let me go! If you don't stop this, I'll have you arrested! And, you know, in a typical movie, it might be somebody just coming to save her, but all the ways in which she resists this identity that has been imposed on her and finds ways to try to escape and, and ultimately, well, I, I won't give it away, but it's, it's, it's a really short film. It's a gem from Columbia's B unit, really kind of was a bit of a breakout picture for Joseph H. Lewis, who'd go on to do uh, Gun Crazy, The Big Combo, you know, great noir director, and uh, Nina Fosh's central performance, I just think is... Um, Again, really, really wonderfully understated in that she's able to convey this fear and this anxiety, but without overplaying it in the situation. So that's an example of a woman who is able to rescue herself and keep her presence of mind in, in a situation that might drive, you know, many of us to, uh, to actual insanity. Alice, you live in the village, don't you? Then help me. I'm not his wife. I don't know what's happening or why. But please, call the police. Call someone. Well, Nora, I want to thank you so much for uh, talking about the noir dames and hopefully opening people's eyes to the wide diversity of women that exist within the film noir world. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me yammer on about the, the many performances and films that I love. I hope that there's a, a new one for everyone out there because I have been watching film noir since I was a teenager, probably before. And one thing that continues to delight me is even within American noir, how many you know films there still are to see, how many obscure ones to dig up, you know, The Web, Larceny, and you know, all these ones that are just kind of making it to, to Blu-ray and you know, all the work the Film Noir Foundation has done to bring films out of the shadows. And, you know, this entire conversation has obviously focused on American film noir, but, you know, in, in other countries, there's so much so much to delve into there. So it, it really is just a continual delight, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to be able to have talked about it with you. Thank you so much for having me on. 
Well, that wraps up another edition of KPBS listener-supported Cinema Junkie. I want to thank Nora Fiore, the Nitrate Diva, for joining me again and sharing her knowledge and enthusiasm for film noir and noir dames. You can follow her on Twitter at The Nitrate Diva, where she'll dazzle you with her hobby of tracking down recycled props and costumes in classic Hollywood films. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion, and more importantly, I hope it inspires you to seek out these movies. To make it easier to start to stroll down the dimly lit street of noir, I've put together a YouTube playlist of many of the films that we've discussed and that are available for free, although the quality varies radically. But you can find gorgeous restorations of some of these titles at Eddie Muller's Film Noir Foundation and elsewhere with a little searching. But some remain hard to find. Cinema Junkie will be taking a holiday break and be off-season for a few months. I'll be sprinkling a few bonus episodes along the way and be back before you know it. Remember to check out Cinema Junkie's companion videos from the Geeky Gourmet, because I'll show you how to make some noir desserts in glorious black and white, and how to serve up the perfect crime scene. You can find the videos and more podcasts at kpbs.org slash cinemajunkie. And while Cinema Junkie's on break, I urge you to explore some of the archives featuring guests such as David Cronenberg, Clive Barker, Sir Ian McKellen, Jen and Sylvia Soska, and film editor Thelma Schoonmaker. And topics such as black films that matter, screwball comedy, queer horror, and zombies for humanity. And please share the podcast with a friend because your recommendation is the best way to build our audience. And thanks. I'd like to acknowledge the talented team that makes Cinema Junkie happen. Podcast coordinator, Kinsey Moreland. Technical director, Rebecca Chacon. And director of sound design, Emily Jankowski. So, till next year, I'm Betha Commando, your resident Cinema Junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.